0: These are some of Brandon's positions that he says are Christian positions.
1: Here's one more for us tonight. Being queer is holy, our love is holy too. Christians who say otherwise don't know the Bible. Woo! Homosexuality is not a sin. Being LGBT is not a sin. You start seeing Jesus tear down patriarchy. Jesus himself would have been considered feminine, and I know that's going to come as a uh, shock to so many people. And so now you don't have any fear of going to hell? I don't believe in hell anymore. (laughs) Oh, you don't believe in hell? No. Do you believe in heaven? Uh, ish. For those who are in an open or polyamorous relationship here this morning, who might be squirming a little bit because this is an uncomfortable question to hear in church sometimes, I want you to hear me loud and clear as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Your relationships are holy, they're beautiful, and they are welcomed and celebrated in this space. And we call all of us together to the same set of standards that we call everyone to, to seek to follow Jesus in all of our relationships, to seek to be honest and respectful and self-sacrificial and consensual and loving with your partners. When any of us live into these standards, we can be sure that we're on the path to wholeness and holiness.
0: Now, this may seem crazy to you, but there's a method behind the madness here. There is a a, a methodical way in which he's constructing his his approach to scripture and to Jesus that allows him to take the scripture and and sort of treat it like like a palette where it's not clear teachings. It's more like these broad strokes of colors that he can use to paint sort of any image ultimately that he ends up wanting to end up with. And that's what he's done. Uh, This image of Christianity reflects not Jesus, not a actual Judeo-Christian truth, but rather this this is entirely a new invention in the name of Christ. Jesus is being hijacked for this, but there's a brilliance behind it. There's a thoughtfulness behind this. There's a theology behind this, and we're going to examine that theology. As I was studying and looking into Brandon's teachings, I watched many hours of them to make sure that I understood his whole Jesus was racist thing properly before I went into it, and, and, and I didn't go in half-cocked, but I had preparation and thought into it. Well, I discovered one particular video where he teaches on truth, the nature of truth, incarnational truth, the Garden of Eden, Jesus, all these things. This teaching, I think, gives a great summary of a way of approaching scripture that is a car accident of theology. And if we can understand the wrongness of this theology, it will make us better at being right with theology. I mean, you know, when you show a a student who's learning to drive videos of a car accident, it helps them drive more carefully when they're on the road. And it's the same sense here. You're going to watch basically a theological car accident in order that you might better know how to avoid the same problems that this, this particular movement has. This is one of the branches of progressive Christianity. We'll use that term because that's the term they use. Brandon Robertson labels himself as a progressive Christian theologian and advocate. And this is one branch of that. We are going to say this is not faithful to Christ. This is fundamentally flawed and it's in a very bad way and it will end up causing great harm to those who follow it. But there's a quick disclaimer I want to offer. Uh, My quick disclaimer is this. There are some who commented in my previous video uh, mocking Brandon for silly things. We want to be honest and condemn the bad theology, yes, but I don't want to see people making fun of appearances, making fun of secondary issues. I mean, God does not judge by those things. So we need to be those, I pray on this YouTube channel, the community of those who decide to partake of of this content and comment below that we would represent a a faithfulness to God, a willingness to call out heresy and error, but also, right, fair judgment, right judgment and not reacting with the flesh to what is wrong teaching. So here we go. This is the truth sermon that gave me a real window into the, the, the deeply flawed but brilliant theology of progressive Christianity, at least in the case of Brandon Robertson. Let's start as we survey through the sermon he taught. Let's start with his view of Genesis.
1: And then we go into that saga about the first humans, the Adam and Eve. And in that story, we're told that God creates humans in God's own image. The God who desires truth and the God who is truth. So it makes sense that humans would really love to comprehend the truth so that we would be like God. God gives humans freedom to learn and to explore and examine in the garden called Eden. But in almost a kind of cruel fashion, God creates a prohibition. You can eat and examine every tree in the garden except that one in the middle. That's the tree of knowledge, God says. Don't eat of that, or you will surely die. Do you see the setup here? Humans are made in God's image. Humans desire to know the truth and to pursue knowledge. And that's the one thing God in Genesis says humans cannot pursue. They cannot eat of that tree of knowledge. And then the serpent speaks a word of truth. No, 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 he says. God just doesn't want you to eat of that tree, because if you do, you will gain knowledge. You'll be like God. You won't actually die. So they eat the fruit. Their eyes are opened. Their minds are expanded. And it's a really strange story if you think about it, because no matter how you look at this, you've got some really interesting actions coming from the God figure and the Satan figure. Here we have God actually kind of lying, if not, at least not being clear with God's own words because the truth is that adam and eve don't die after they eat of the fruit of the tree in fact the serpent tells the truth their eyes are opened their knowledge does in fact expand and they don't die immediately
0: all right so god is the liar satan's telling the truth god is deceiving the serpent is being honest and open and telling the truth. How does this happen? Why is the theology that This is not just to malign God. I mean, I think it maligns God very clearly, but not the purpose of it exactly the purpose of it is to set up sort of a a contrast with jesus that he'll come to later so keep in mind that that he's going to try to make uh, the god of the old testament in particular in genesis look bad to make jesus look like he's different and he's an alternate option and then he can make jesus disagree with the bible is what it's going to come down to but let's talk about this briefly before we move on to the next clip where you'll hear how he recasts jesus how he retells the story of who jesus is and what jesus did um so is is it true that God lies? Well, the only way in which Brandon could try to justify the idea that God is deceiving anybody in Genesis is merely because they didn't die the day they ate of the fruit, right? Well, God says the day you eat of it, you will die. Now, Brandon Robertson would accuse many like myself of having a wooden or very hyper-literal approach to scripture. But this is where Brandon is actually the one with the hyper-literal approach to Genesis. He is thinking that the word day when God says the day you eat of it you will die that that has to be a 24-hour day. It won't just be like when you eat of it like speaking of a general time period as the word the word day is used that way in Genesis chapter 2. There's no reason why it can't be used that way in Genesis chapter 3. So day here represents right when you eat of it you will die. And certainly Adam dies. And the New Testament throughout the scripture of course, but the New Testament really hones in on this and it says like death came Through Adam when he sinned and then death came to all of us because all sinned so we have death was really the result of the fall it's only if you think that that the death had to happen within 24 hours the fullness of all of the consequences by taking that word day hyper literally it's odd that Brandon will be one who will accuse me and he has like on Twitter and stuff of being too literal and so it's strange to me to see that happening here But that hyperliteral pr- approach is in order to suggest that god is being deceitful What does the text actually say? I mean do I really have to tell you this? I guess I do <laughs> But in genesis chapter 3 We we get some commentary on this that that they that god is not the one who's being deceiving here So in genesis chapter 3 verse 13 We have the statement. Uh, then the lord god said to the woman. What is it that you've done? The woman said the serpent deceived me and I ate so the serpent is the one who lies, right? The, the thing that Brandon left out that the serpent said is you shall not die, right? But they are going to die. Death is going to be the result. They will not be eating of the tree of life. They will not be having eternal life here. They're going to die. This is because of the deception of the serpent and it's saying you will not die. And then Eve partakes of the fruit. This is not hard to see. There's no way that I- any serious person can justify, can properly justify taking Genesis and flipping it inside out like this and making God the deceiver and making the serpent the one who's helping you. And I'll use the term Brandon uses. Remember this term, expand your mind. That's a term he's going to really hone in on really soon here. So the Old Testament God, he doesn't want you to have knowledge. He doesn't, he doesn't want those things. Brandon's going to couch him as being a God of, of rules and the New, the the New Testament Jesus, he has a different perspective that disagrees with the Old Testament. It disagrees with the way God is portrayed in much of the Old Testament. Listen to this next clip where Brandon talks about who Jesus is and how how he wants to pit Jesus against God. This is this is uh, something I'll, I complain about a lot because I see it in different theological camps to to make Jesus sort of the the. Um, the opposition of the teaching of the Old Testament instead of the fulfillment of it.
1: The word that's most often translated repent in our Bibles is the word metanoia in Greek. Meta literally means to expand, noia means your mind. So when Jesus says repent and believe the gospel, he's not saying anything about being sorry for our sins. No, he's actually telling us to expand our minds so that we're able to begin to grasp more of this new reality that he calls the kingdom of God.
0: So catch this, right? This, this is the same teaching here, and we're going to see more clips from it so you can catch all of the sort of the, the, the main points of his teaching. But, you know, the Old Testament God, the God in Genesis, this Genesis garden God character, that's how Brandon will characterize the book of Genesis, the story of Genesis, This the God character. He doesn't want you to know things. He doesn't want you to expand your mind. Uh, and he's deceiving you about, about knowledge. And then the serpent, of course, he's like the good guy to to think this is Christian theology is, um, anyway, so, you know, but then you get to Jesus and Jesus, when he's preaching, repent, Christians have misunderstood. He didn't mean turn from your sin. He meant expand your mind. Jesus is here saying, eat of the tree. Jesus is echoing the serpent now. And we find that there's a conflict between, and I'm not, if you think I'm going too far with Brandon's teaching, just wait, I'm going to share more clips with you in just a moment. So Jesus, he says, expand your mind. Now, one question we want to ask here, if, if we're going to try to be careful with scripture and care about the truth of what Jesus says and who, who he really was, the word repent, does it really mean expand your mind? Uh, Brandon takes the word and he breaks it into its etymological pieces, meta and noia, right? These two, meta noia, this is the word repent. Meta, he says, means expand and noia is your mind. Well, noia does mean mind, right? Or thinking and Meta does not mean expand. This is not real. This is not true. I don't know that expand is actually in the, what's called the semantic range of the word meta. If it is, it's not in the sense that Brandon's using it. It's kind of a mystical interpretation he's offering of this word. There's there's a reason why translations uh, all all across the board translate this word repent or something like it. I did a survey of translations, 18 translations. Not a single one of them translates it expand your mind. Right? We have the King James, New King James, NASB, NIV, NRSV, NLT, CSB, LEV, NET, ISV, RSV, ASV, Darby Bible, the Dewey Reuse Bible. We have all of these that say it's repent. They just translate the word repent. This is not because these are cisgendered males. I'm, I'm, I'm using the terms of, of progressive... Some progressive Christians who will critique these translations because they think they're coming from like a particular camp, right? It's just what the word means in context. We can actually look at it the way Jesus uses the word. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 21, we have the following Woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented. Long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Now, this is interesting. So, not only does the word we'll see in the context of scripture, in in the New Testament in particular, it tends to mean turning from bad behaviors and bad ways and wrong ways of thinking to turning to believing in God. So, you're you're repenting of sin. Sin is connected to the idea of repenting, um, as it is in the typical English usage of the term. But here he says, repent in sackcloth and ashes. Now, if repentment expand your mind, why does Jesus think it takes place in sackcloth and ashes? This taps into very strong cultural understandings of the time, that this is about mourning and grieving because of your past behavior. Tyre and Sidon are pictures here of sinful groups of people that should have repented but did not, should have stopped their sins but did not. And so this is clearly Jesus using the term, not as a sort of mystical mind expansion thing, but using the term as turning from sin. We get the same statement in Luke chapter 10, verse 13, where he says that they would have repented sitting in sackcloth and ashes, and implies that there's some sort of future judgment for them and for Capernaum and Bethsaida, Chorazin, these people who are not repenting, not turning from their sin even today. What about Jesus in Luke thirteen three, though, where you can't take it to me and expand your mind here. He says, I will tell you, unless you all repent, you will all likewise perish. So this is not like, hey guys, come expand your minds because there's like this sort of fluffy kind of new agey sort of universalism kind of thing going on here he's like hey you need to turn from your sin jesus was the kind of annoying preacher that a lot of progressive christians want to complain about jesus just was that person and it's it's not because he's trying to be a jerk it's because sin really is going to bring death right that tree is going to bring death and we're heading towards it in our lives and we need repentance to turn to god in faith it's that old annoying gospel message it, it doesn't come from from um power centers and it doesn't come from authority people or patriarchy it comes from god jesus speaking to us communicating to us that we need to turn lest we likewise will perish to make this point even stronger uh, and and again i'm kind of trying to use bad theology to teach us good theology here so let's look at matthew chapter 12 41 and in this passage jesus thinks obviously thinks that nineveh is an example of what repentance looks like and we, we know the story of Nineveh. Jonah went to Nineveh. We'll read, I'll read it to you in just a moment. Man. This is, we're going <clears> to <throat> get Bible study going here. So in Matthew 12, 41, it says, Then the men of Nineveh will stand up with this generation at the judgment and will condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Jesus appeals to Jonah. And he appeals to Jonah, that the book of Jonah, and the the account of Nineveh as an example of what he thinks repentance looks like. So here's a great way, not going to fake use of etymology, not saying meta means expand, right? But, but rather looking at the use of a word in context. That's probably the most important way to understand any word, English, Greek, any language at all. And we can go to Jonah chapter 3 verses 4 through 10 and see what Jesus was talking about. This is what he thought repentance looked like. Jonah began to go into the city and going a day's journey, he called out, yet 40 days in Nineveh shall be overthrown. So he has a message of judgment. He probably taught more than that one sentence. Sometimes we act like that's all he said. This is a summary, I think. But anyway, it goes on. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. Again, this is this is a mourning time. This is a grieving time because to them, repentance is going to be turning from sin and sorrowing and mourning over the wickedness they've committed as it goes on the word reached the king of Nineveh and he arose from his throne removed his robe covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes and he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king of his nobles let neither man nor beast herd nor flock taste anything let them not feed or drink water but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call mightily to God this is clearly the same kind of thing Jesus is talking about even uses the imagery of sackcloth and ashes Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. And indeed, God does. He gives them grace and mercy. Why? Because they acknowledge their sin and they turn from it. This is what Jesus is talking about when he says, repent. And it's the message we have to the world today is turn from your sins and turn to Christ. He will forgive you. He will He will release you from all of the burdens of your guilt and your shame, and he will welcome you into his kindness and forgiveness. This is the message of the gospel. Repent is part of the gospel. It doesn't mean expand your mind. That's what Jesus meant by it. That should be obvious from the verses I share with you. But look now, let's pretend you didn't know any of that. Pretend that you thought Brandon was was, was really understanding Genesis right and understanding Jesus right, right? God, bad God. Doesn't want you to know things Jesus wants you to know things in fact expanding your mind is the whole purpose of the gospel message listen to now how he summarizes all of these things about the old testament compared to Jesus
1: when you take Jesus understanding of salvation and contrast it with the Garden of Eden story we begin to see two different perspectives in Genesis we're told the God figure desires for humans to stay finite in our capacity to understand truth God doesn't want us to eat from the tree, because if we do, then our capacity to grasp truth will expand, will become like God. But by the time Jesus appears on the scene, He begins teaching that in order to participate in the world that God desires, we must always begin by expanding our minds, broadening our perspective, seeking to see the world from an increasingly divine perspective.
0: You see that the, the Old Testament God is scared. And Brandon doesn't think that that's truth about God. He thinks that, that the Bible has some right things, some wrong things. And this allows him to sort of reconstruct the biblical teaching in a way that affirms whatever it is that, that his, his theology is wanting to affirm. So he makes the God of the Old Testament who has rules and regulations that he doesn't approve of that he doesn't want He makes him into like the bad guy And then jesus comes around and jesus is the good guy who's who's echoing the words of the serpent and wants you to Expand your mind now. This isn't really new. This is theology that i've seen with greg boyd It's not the same as greg boyd. I don't think greg Boyd would agree with brandon robertson's reconstruction here at all I don't think he would I could be wrong um, but it's the principles that he's using to get this reconstruction are very similar. Greg Boyd would teach that we, we've we got this sort of Old Testament um, presentation of God that's not true about God. Like, you can't rely on all the things the Bible's telling you about who God is and what God does. Uh, Brian Zahn does the same thing. Brian Zahn thinks that Jesus is his is his buddy who's going to help him know where to disagree with the Bible on issues. And I think a a good understanding, a careful and thoughtful understanding of Scripture alleviates all of the problems these guys are seeing. Steve Chalk is another one who is in the same camp. I I worry a little bit about Bethel because Bethel, um, Bill Johnson's teaching, there's places where he touches on this too. So it's weird to me now being someone who cares about the sort of global teaching that's going out there on the the internet, it's, it's affecting and impacting people's lives. I'm concerned because there's a common thread through very different camps who don't even have the same theology as each other, and the common thread is this idea that we're going to take our version of Jesus, and we're going to make him disagree with various parts of the Old Testament in order to reform our new Christian theology as you know, in a way that fits. It makes it so Jesus is is with me disagreeing with Scripture in various places. This is a problem. So the next clip we're going to get is where um, Brandon Robertson's going to reverend right theologian. and those are those are true statements about brandon he's a reverend he's a theologian he's leading groups of people uh you and and they're very open about how they're progressive christians now he's going to need to morph the principle that he's got with jesus is is at odds with places of the old testament with even things that god is doing in the old testament according to the text he's going to take that principle and he's going to morph it into permission to reinvent sort of a new christianity that embraces his progressive views so listen to this It's, it's it's so clever i mean points for cleverness and thoughtfulness but just no points for truthfulness here and accuracy so let's redefine now step one is going to be redefine the word truth see if you can follow this because I think that the people even hearing his teaching don't really know what they're hearing it's so esoteric that I think that a lot of people don't get it hopefully I'm making it accessible to you now
1: in fact one of the last things Jesus tells his disciples is this that when I go from you, I will send the Spirit, and the Spirit will continue to lead you into all the truth, which naturally then means that all the truth hasn't been revealed, that there is a wider and broader understanding of truth. See, we have this trajectory from the beginning of Scripture to the end that outlines the trajectory of human evolution. We begin with darkness, and light begins to expand. We begin with a God who is initially afraid of humans pursuing knowledge, grasping for truth, and then we end with one who is called the incarnation of God, that shows us that truth is dynamic, not static, and that we should continue to seek it out through the expansion of our minds.
0: Did you catch this? That, that was, that was a, a really good moment for us, at least understanding and grasping the theology that's being taught in this case from uh, Reverend Brandon Robertson. The theology is, right? God doesn't want you to know things, Jesus, he comes and says, <clears throat> no, no, you, you know, in the Old Testament, and then Jesus comes, yeah, you should know things, in fact, don't, don't turn from your sin, that's not the message, the message is expand your mind, which means you're sort of growing into new revelations, new understandings of things, then he also says the Holy Spirit's going to come, and he's going to, what, lead you into all truth, which will be new versions of truth, new understandings of truth, and it's not just the Old Testament, the New Testament also affirms that it was the serpent who was the deceiver, it's strange that I have to make this case, but Brandon thinks that after Jesus came, the Holy Spirit's guided us into newer truths different kinds of truths but no scripture says right here after jesus has already come the holy spirit's already been given guiding them into truth and being guided in truth what does it say it says that eve was deceived by the cunning of the serpent it also says the same thing in revelation chapter 12 verse 9 that that great dragon satan he's the ancient serpent he's the deceiver of the whole world and may i say brandon's affirming the deceptions of satan even today, you might think I'm overreacting, but I think that's just an accurate description of what's happening. Progressive theology, as it's represented in people like Brandon Robertson, is the voice of Satan today. It's the echoes of the serpent. And now we get into probably the most clever part of, of all of the theology stuff that I heard from Brandon Robertson. And it's going to take us I'll give you a spoiler it's going to take us from the idea of learning new truths and understanding truth better that that he's he's taken from hijacking statements of Jesus about the Holy Spirit and he's going to talk about how there's different kinds of truth so in the Old Testament there is this sort of like objective rule type truth then Jesus comes and he gives us incarnate truth and then we now live our own incarnated truth that's the preview listen to the theology it's not Christian but it's very clever And it is in the name of Christ
1: if in Judeo-Christian consciousness truth and God are synonymous then Christians necessarily traditionally believe that in Jesus truth becomes flesh and this image of the flesh of Jesus and Jesus entering into flesh and becoming the truth incarnate we also learn that truth cannot be static it's dynamic it's relational. It grows and progresses and evolves based on whatever context it's in. Which is incredibly different than the common understanding of truth in most churches today, isn't it?
0: This is this is literally nonsense. It's literally nonsense, but it's nonsense built on the name of Jesus. So Jesus comes and he is incarnate truth. Okay, well there's see there's something truth there's always a nugget of truth in the things that are being said here so jesus he's like i'm the way of the truth and the life he's also incarnated right he's he's in the flesh he has a human body so that's true you could you could kind of say he's incarnated truth, but that's n- what he means by incarnated truth is truth that's sort of malleable and shifting and it's not based on rules people don't like rules i get it i get that people don't like rules but These are throwaway statements that fog the mind and keep you from thinking clearly about things because everything that Brandon's teaching you is based on objective truth claims. All of the claims he makes about truth not being objective when it comes to Jesus, every one of those claims is an objective truth claim. A tiny bit of philosophy, a a tiny bit would, would help to clear the fog away here, I think, to say, look, wait a minute. You're self-refuting here because everything you're doing is truth claims, truth claims, truth claims, how it is, how it is, how it is. And he has rules just as much as anybody else has rules. He just has different rules. That's the thing. But he wants to claim these aren't rules. At any rate, you get the idea. You know, truth we don't like that much, Old Testament type stuff. Truth we really like, Jesus. It's flexible, it's malleable, and it's projecting forward. When the Spirit comes, he's going to guide you into new truths. So the next step, the final step, is going to be incarnated truth in you. See, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. You, too, have the truth in you. You have your own truth. This is a payoff moment. This is what the study's been building towards. This is what the theology, all of the weirdness that's been foisted upon Scripture has, has been intending to bring us to this point right here.
1: We've talked about absolute truth. We've talked about factual truth. And now I want to talk about incarnate, or what could be called your truth. Every day, we're called to live in awe and curiosity of the absolute truth. We're called to observe and to note the factual truth. And both of these create the context where we create this byproduct that I'm calling our truth, as we've understood it and believe it today. If we want to live whole lives, we must live in alignment with our truth, the truth as we experience it and understand it. Whenever we try to live out of sync with our truth, our lives seem to go awry. awry. And LGBT people, for instance, we know this in a profoundly real way. If you try to hide your true self from the world around you, we have found that that pressure, that bottling up of conformity will create the sense of stress and pain and suffering in our lives. To live according to our truth is dangerous and beautiful. And it's absolutely necessary to live a meaningful life.
0: Does it make sense now? Your truth, which in his mind is rooted in your sexual or gender identity issues, which which then is incarnated truth, which is the truth that we've been being drawn towards through Jesus, according to him. You need to live that. It's holiness. It's imitating Jesus to live out your identity. This is all been intentional. This has all been deliberate. It's very brilliant. I mean, it's brilliant. It really is. It's totally inconsistent with scripture. It's something that would have been foreign and rejected by the apostles, by Jesus. It, it can't be sustained reasonably, right? I don't think there's a rational or theological support for it that's, that's that's really there. But if you buy into the idea that you don't have to take the scripture as authoritative, really, right? You, you just take it sort of more like, again, it's a paint palette. You don't have... What does the Bible teach us in Genesis? I, you know, I'm going to look at this, try to understand it in genre. You know, Some of it's literal, some of it's symbolic, some of it's this. But I'm going to try to understand what it actually was intended to mean. Instead, I can take it and it's just sort of like colors of paint. I'll take some black from Genesis. I'll take some white from Exodus. I'll take some blue from Jesus. I'll take some, some yellow over here from the Holy Spirit teachings. And I'm going to paint a new picture of a new Christianity. This is why... Because it's incarnational truth, this teaching. This is why Brandon can say things like, your your polyamorous experimentations are holy. Your your, uh, lesbian, gay relationships are holy. They're not just acceptable. They're actually holy because they're living into the image of Jesus because it's your incarnated truth. Christian terms, unchristian teachings. That's why he can say things like this.
1: Being queer is holy. For those who are in an open or polyamorous relationship, hear me loud and clear as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Your relationships are holy.
0: So this is a new Christianity. Like we should be able to acknowledge this. And I think any level-headed person, Christian or non-Christian should recognize like this is not actually authentically Christian, but this is how Brandon Robertson presents it.
1: If there's any message that Christianity uniquely offers to the world, it's this. That truth is relational and dynamic and incarnated. That life is truth. That living is truth. And anytime we divorce our conception of truth from our incarnated reality, we create a dangerous division that ultimately causes destruction in our world. Truth divorced from an incarnate reality becomes nothing more than a battering ram for the privileged and the powerful to beat people into conformity. Truth that is incarnated is held with conviction and curiosity and humility
0: so you can see from the last video i did where i talked about the jesus was racist stuff that was that was all about like um i think critical race theory that kind of thing being sort of read into scripture Uh, in this case it's a little different it's more about uh, lgbt type you know perspectives being read into scripture and our response to this isn't isn't to just say, I disagree with everything you say. It's rather to say this stuff, that's just not the Christian perspective, right? The Christian perspective is to say, we all have problems in our temptations and our desires. We all have things we need to repent of, like turn from sin, this... This is something that's true about all of us. Our incarnational truth is that we're in the flesh, right? Then this is a problem, my carne flesh, right? I'm in the flesh and I need to be rescued from me. That's what I need Jesus to do for me. I don't need to live into that, live into my flesh, whatever desires, temptations I have and just call it holy or try to put like kindness sprinkled in and and some type of fidelity sprinkled into the the things that I want to do that are sinful I got to turn from that stuff to follow God so I think it's different than say the Latin X kind of interpretation that we got from uh Dr. Miguel de la Torre in the previous video I I think and this is this is more LGBT stuff but the the two movements while they're not trying to do the same thing they are kind of teaming up. They're holding hands because the same basic agenda of reinterpreting Jesus and Christianity to fit modern agendas, that's what's really going on here. And this is one of my biggest critiques against progressive Christianity. They will often rightly criticize, say even American evangelicals, for having sometimes pushed their their own modern views onto Christianity. And that's 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 a legitimate criticism. But their solution is not to go back to the authentic Jesus, not to go back to truth of scripture, not to check all of my modern values and positions against the truth and infallibility of God's word. Instead, the solution is to just make a new version of Christianity based on an even larger distortion of the text of scripture to fit modern progressive ideas. The next clip you got here, this sums it up. This sums up the whole thing until now. I think that. You, you, can, you can get it now. You understand the theology, I think. And when you hear this in the future, you'll know where it's coming from. There's no lack of intelligence here. It's folly, but it's not dumb-dumb folly, right? It's thoughtful, brilliant, carefully constructed folly.
1: In Genesis, we see human understanding of God that desires us to conform, to be faithful, to, hear, to adhere to a set of propositional truths. And then the rest of the Hebrew Bible lays out objective truths and rules and regulations that God supposedly requires. But in Jesus and beyond, we see that propositional truth isn't objectively true at all. Jesus looks at the propositions of the Hebrew Bible and says, you have heard it said, and quotes, but I say to you, and gives a new, a better, a higher moral standard than that which was previously said to be true. It makes sense, then, that by the time we get to Jesus, salvation isn't talked about as conformity to ancient propositions, but dedication to following the wild winds of spirit, constantly metanoiaing, expanding our minds to perceive the new contours and textures and terrains of this thing called truth. By the time we get to Jesus, we see that the concept of truth has completely evolved in human consciousness, and in our day, It seems that we're on the brink of another transformation in our understanding of truth.
0: There it is. That's the hijacking of Jesus, the hijacking of Christianity. I am not here to defend my version of Christianity. Look, I just want to be faithful to Jesus. Jesus really is Lord. And this stuff is utter nonsense. Brilliant, carefully constructed, thoughtfully made nonsense. If you can see it for what it is, you can avoid the same theological car accident. If you're part of a church, if you're part of Brandon's congregation, I I beg you to get out from under the the layers of deception that are being spilled out. I mean, scripture says let God be true and every man a liar. Instead, we have God lying so that every man can be true and every man can be their own truth. This is not Christianity, and it's not that I'm offended, it's not that I'm triggered. It's that I care I love God. I love people enough to say, no, I'm going to be one of those who raises their voices, raises their hand and says, hey, that's definitely nonsense. It's, it's, it's affirming, it's self-affirming. It affirms all of us. It affirms me. It affirms you. But that's not always what sinners need, man. Sometimes we have to be told to repent. Truth really does matter, but there's no such thing as your truth, your personal truth. If it's your personal truth, that's just another way of saying It's just how you feel about things, what you wish was true, and maybe you want others to entertain that as well. And that can be very friend-making, that can make us get along better, but it doesn't help us with life. Like actual life will punish you if you live based on your own personal truth. And we don't want people to live on that. We believe that there is a real truth, an objective truth, fact-based truth that is relational as well because it's true. Because God is real, I can really have a relationship with him. It's beautiful. Christianity is beautiful. Progressive Christianity, something else. Maybe you've been affected by weird teachings and you want to help yourself learn how to think biblically about things. I think this is one of the most valuable things we can do in our lives, which is why I've devoted my life to helping you learn to think biblically about things. This is what my YouTube channel is all about. So I'm going to put some links here to other content that might help you grow in your ability to understand clearly and carefully and truthfully the real Jesus and the real word of God.